This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Donna Chavis. Thank you, Sid. Our guest today asks a very important question. Do you ever feel like your prayers are not effective? <laughs> I know I have felt that way, and he is asking that today. And he says the secret to a thriving and powerful prayer life, it's not a formula. It's the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> well, he's going to present some bold answers to some very tough questions about prayer today and where the power comes from. So today our guest is uh, evangelist, healing minister, and author, David Hernandez. Hi, David. How's it going? I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time today, and I know those that are listening that have heard you before cannot wait to hear this message. And and David, as I was saying before, you, you have a healing ministry. Uh, you're an evangelist. You travel the world. You, you have authored several powerful, powerful books. So there's a lot of facets to your ministry, and one of them is that it is truly and distinctly marked by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to you, and why is that so important? So when we say that the ministry is distinctly marked by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, I want to first clarify what we're not saying. I'm not saying that other ministries don't have the Holy Spirit <laughs> yes. or they don't allow the Holy Spirit to move, because I believe that every person who has received salvation, everyone who has embraced the salvation of Jesus Christ, that person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So every believer has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have every believer. Oh. So when I talk about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the key is not me getting more of his power. It's him getting more of me. It's not receiving, it's surrendering. So when I say distinctly marked by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about a grace and an emphasis that God has given to us, a mandate to introduce His Holy Spirit to our generation. There's actually a story behind how all of that even began. Uh, when we were all children, my siblings and I had special prayers prayed over us. My mom and my dad prayed something very unique and very sincere for each and every one of us. For my older sister, Raquel, they prayed that she would be a worshiper. And today she is in worship. She actually passes the church with her husband uh, here in California. And they prayed for my younger brother to have a spirit-filled boldness. And I know no one else that is as bold as my brother. He's very bold. But over me, they prayed that I would be sensitive to the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that has been something that God has graced me with to minister on the the ideas, the truths, the, the philosophies, if you will, concerning the Holy Spirit. And so when I say distinctly marked by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about a grace and an emphasis, and that which God is doing now is He's guiding people into that relationship with the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm just honored that I even get to be a part of what He's doing in the yes, earth. Yes, 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 me too. And there's something that you said there, David, that really stuck out to me when you said it. I know so many of us uh, say, oh, I want more of the Holy Spirit, oh, I want more of the Holy Spirit, and you just said, it's not more of Him, 
it's more of us that we need to be concentrating on. Oh, my goodness. So I, I think right. all of us have something to learn there. And can I say, you know, that's one of, if you will, one of the bold answers to one of the tough questions is people saying, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? How can I get more of His power? How, how do I get more of God is basically what they're asking. Yes. And the bold answer is you can't. Oh. And that's actually a, that actually should be relieving. Uh, because the fact that you can't means everything you already need, First John 2, 27, is within you. And so people, when they're confronted with things like that, at first they may misunderstand it as a negative, but it's actually a positive that we can't get any more of God. It really is a matter of just decreasing and allowing Him to get more of yes, us. Yes, yes. That is a great answer. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. Um, David, why did you write this particular book? Your brand new book is called Praying in the Holy Spirit. Why, why that book? Well, first and foremost, because I, I believe the Holy Spirit told me to, but as you're talking about one of the motivating factors, it would have to be that I really have a heart to see people succeed in their prayer lives. And it really saddens me when I receive messages from you know people all over the world who are struggling with the same things. We have more in common than we realize. They're, we're struggling with the same things. You know, I can't seem to focus when I pray, or I can't seem to be disciplined enough to keep up a regular prayer routine, or whenever I pray, I feel like uh, my prayers are accomplishing nothing, like the heavens are brass, like nothing is being returned, like I don't know what to say. And then furthermore, as it has to do with prayer, is the gift of speaking in tongues. People suffer and they, they, they become, how shall I say, uh, almost, it's, it's sad to say, but it's true, almost self-loathing. Like, they, they, they don't like themselves. They feel like there's something wrong with them that they can't receive the gift of speaking in tongues. And this is something I really, really want to see broken in as many people's lives as possible. This, this barrier in prayer, if you will, the, the, these walls that prohibit that spiritual momentum in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know what? It can become actually like frustrating. And when, when people feel frustrated, it almost comes to the point where you go, oh, I'm so frustrated, I just want to give up. Right. And, and part of the frustration comes from certain mindsets that need to be altered or paradigms that need to be broken. For example, one of the ideas is that I'm praying to connect with God or I'm praying to get closer to God. And the reality is nobody prays to get closer to God in the spiritual sense. When I'm praying, I'm not praying to get closer to God. Prayer does not connect me to God. I pray from connection with God. And so if you approach your prayer life wondering if God is hearing you, wondering if God is listening, wondering if you're being of any effect or trying to imagine whether or not you're you know, enacting the correct posture or you're, you're trying to imagine yourself in the Spirit and doing everything correctly, and there's all these lists of things that you've been taught to do and say and almost like these rituals that we've been given, and people become burdened with all of these tedious things to keep track of, and instead of focusing on the Lord in prayer, they're actually becoming more focused on prayer itself or the experience itself. So the, the intense desire to have an encounter with God can itself become a distraction from having an encounter with God, or the intense desire to pray properly can become a distraction from praying properly. Yes. So when I talk about prayer, I, I'm talking about this flow in the Spirit that people can find to where they'll never struggle. And I, I mean what, when I say this. I mean it when I say this. It, it's not hyperbole. It's not hype. I'm not trying to you know come at this from some clever marketing angle. This really is my contention, that you never have to struggle again 
Not a day in your life, not a moment longer. You don't have to struggle in your prayer life. You don't have to do it. You can pray with perfect peace. You can pray with that perfect flow. You can pray and cause things to move in the spirit, and you never again, you never again have to hit those spiritual obstacles in your prayer life. Yes, yes. Wow. Well, that, that is very exciting. Well, I want to move on with a story, David. You told us a story about a lady that you had encountered at a meeting, and you were so in tune with the Spirit that you, it was almost like you were you were watching yourself or actually experiencing the Holy Spirit working through you. You told us about a lady that was healed, a lady that you had seen earlier in the day who had a cane. What what was the story there? Yeah, so this was in the East Coast, and there was a woman who had suffered with paralysis in her body, on one side of her body. So I'm walking into the service. I'm going to minister that day. I'm walking into the service. She's one of the greeters in the lobby. And I'm looking at all of the greeters in the lobby, everyone's saying hello. She stood out to me because she was probably more joyful than all the greeters, except she had a cane. And she was hobbling around, struggling to walk, but she was still working and participating in everything. And I thought that was just a, a beautiful testimony to the kind of person that she is. But, you know, I, I, I noticed her, I looked at her, but then I went on into the service. And in the middle of my sermon, so I'm preaching as I usually do, and this has happened to me a number of times, when I like to say that when I find that flow in the Spirit, I become a completely different person. I do not even identify with whoever that is on the platform. <laughs> it's when that anointing comes on me, it's just a completely different person. And people say, oh, you know, you said this. And I'm like, you know, I wasn't really there. I was lost in worship somewhere, and it was like someone else took over for me. So I'm, I'm ministering the Word. I'm preaching, I'm sure, on the Holy Spirit, or it might have been spiritual warfare, one of those topics. And in the middle of my sermon, I can hear myself interrupt me. I, I stop preaching, and suddenly I hear myself calling for this lady from the lobby to come up. She comes up. I gently take her cane, set it aside, and begin to pray. And right there in front of everyone, and we have the clip somewhere on our YouTube channel, right there in front of everyone, this woman begins to move like she hadn't been able to move in years. And this was all because of that flow that was found in the Spirit. And that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about here, this this flow in prayer. It, it's more of coming from this place of rest. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't try to force the Holy Spirit, first of all. What a silly idea that we think we can force or persuade God. <laughs> yes. I mean, who is convincing enough— that, who is convincing enough to be able to, to persuade God? Not you, not me, not anybody. So God's going to do what he's going to do. God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And prayer is less about persuading God, more about participating with what he's already doing. His will is an unchangeable river. You and I, through all of our efforts, even if we planned it for hundreds of years, we couldn't move the flow of his will by even a hair's breadth. So, so God has this mighty flow to his, his will that is unstoppable. Nobody can stop that. So prayer doesn't change the direction of that river. Prayer puts me in the river. And prayer causes me not to receive necessarily, though that's part of it, but it rather it causes me to become the flow of God's will in the yes. earth. And so when I was in that moment of ministering, because I had lived a lifestyle of prayer, because I live in this, this state of awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence, at any moment, he could just start flowing. He could just do what he wants to do. And that is what I'm talking about, and that really is the key. I mean, if you want to summarize it all the way down to one single point, 
its surrender. Now, we can get into the details of how do you surrender, how do you surrender in this instance or that instance, or where is prayer applied in a specific situation, or what about fasting, speaking in tongues. All of that is wonderful, but we have to understand the core concept is simple. It's simply surrender to the Holy Spirit, not fighting Him, not struggling, not trying to accomplish something on our own efforts, but simply surrendering in prayer. And that's basically the premise of the book, and I go through the entire book explaining how to do that in different spiritual practices. You know, the, the fact that you what you just said, I, I go through the entire book explaining how to do, how to do. There's so many wonderful topics out there, and we read so many wonderful teachings, but sometimes it's missing a little bit of a practical how-to, and you go, oh, that's great, David, but how do I do that? How do I do that? And so that is one thing that I truly got out of your book, so I appreciated that so much. But this flow that you're talking about, you tell us something called oneness. Is that what you're talking about here, mm. oneness? It really is, and that is, as I'm saying, the nature of prayer. So I had said earlier something to the effect of prayer doesn't connect me with God because I pray from connection with God. So Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, that's how he began his instructions on how to pray. Jesus didn't begin his instructions with saying, Father, please hear me. God, if you're there, if I, if I can have your attention just for a moment, that would be right. great. God, did I upset you? God, are you angry with me? And this is what we do. Because we don't feel something, because we don't necessarily sense him in the room all the time, which is a powerful thing when that happens, but because we're looking for the filling or the sense or the ritual or the, 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 the specifics of, you know, well, should I say this in prayer? What do I speak? Really, it's just a matter of entering this awareness of the presence of God, knowing that you're one with him, knowing that, you, that everything that God is or ever shall be is already in you. You don't need any more. Once I realize that, then I pray from this place of perfect faith. Now, I want to say something. And I hope, I hope, I hope it comes across correctly, because this is one of those, those bold things that I've been saying in the book um, that, that it can, can be a bit challenging to the way we think. And I'm not saying this to say, oh, you got it wrong all these years to anybody. That's not my goal. I, I come in all humility because my goal is to help people um, you know, succeed in their prayer life. So one of these concepts that really is contrary to oneness is this idea of desperation. Oh. Now, I want to say that desperation has its place. Uh, God used desperation to move me from spiritual apathy to being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking with the Holy Spirit in an almost 24-7 awareness. I'm not quite there at the 24-7 awareness, but I'm getting there, and it's my, my goal to get there to where I'm just 24-7 constantly aware of Him. So, so this, this idea is that if I, if, I'm, if I really want God, if I really want the Lord, then I'm going to be desperate. Now, we can point to certain characters in the Bible who experience wonderful miracles. As I said, desperation has its place. Desperation is a great initiator, but only faith can be the great sustainer. Desperation initiates faith and confidence sustains. Yes. Who could really live their whole spirituality the whole spiritual walk. Who could really live all that out at a constant height of tension, frustration, pushing, and wanting and desiring? That would burn us out. Yes. I only starve when I haven't been eating. I'm, I, I'm only near death and starvation when I haven't been taking in my regular meals. Hungry? Yes. Starving? No. 
I'm not a servant. I'm a son. I don't beg. I already have. I already am in him. That oneness, that reality of union with the Holy Spirit is already mine. And that really is the breakthrough key, is recognizing that you already are one with him, so that when you approach him, He's not standing over you with his arms folded saying, where were you, or why did you do this or that? Of course, he wants to deal with our sin. Of course, we should repent. Of course, we should strive for holiness in our everyday existence. But but when it comes to prayer and our approach to God, we must realize that door is open. And I like even right now, as, as you're listening to this, I want, I want to say this to the listener. As you're listening to my voice right now, even in this moment, I want you to be very aware of the fact that he's looking at you right now. He's listening to you right now. His attention is not something you have to fight for. An audience with God is not something you have to battle to receive. You simply approach him knowing why, because I'm one. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I'm already one with the Father. Wow. Wow. Whoo, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. Thank you for this information, for this revelation that David is sharing, Lord. Thank you for the gifting of his teaching. And Father, I ask you to open the hearts and open the minds and the ears of all those who are listening today, Lord. Just as you have opened ours, as we have, we've drank in and, and taken in this revelation and this word. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Oh, David, that is good. And you know what? I I got so caught up in listening to what God was saying through you and these words earlier that I I wanted to circle back around to the lady with the cane. Uh, The lady got healed, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. her, Her movement was restored. And by the next worship service, she was dancing around on the stage. Oh, yes. Well, I, I knew there was something about the story that I remembered. I'm like, oh, what, what was that last part? Dancing on the stage. <laughs> yes, Jesus. <laughs> that, that is awesome. Well, I want to talk about a couple of different kinds of prayer that you talk about in your book, David. But first, let me just tell the listeners that you have prepared an amazing, powerful, life-changing resource that I hope they will be able to get today. And Sid is always here at the end of the program to tell you how you can get it. It's David's brand new book called Praying in the Holy Spirit and his brand new and exclusive audio teaching series called Symbols of the Holy Spirit. Mm, When I heard that title, I was in, oh, what is that about? So finding out what that is about is going to be powerful and life-changing for you. So be sure and listen for Sid at the end of the program to tell you how you can get that today. David, let's talk about uh, a couple of different types of prayer, unceasing prayer and intentional prayer for a couple of minutes. Yes. So... Unceasing prayer is the 24-7 awareness or the attempt to have the 24-7 awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And when you pray without ceasing, you can pray in any atmosphere. As people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't have to seek atmospheres. We are an atmosphere. We don't have to try to find God's move. We are God's move. So that unceasing prayer is that constant communion with the Holy Spirit. And really, when it comes down to it, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 teach us that there's this fellowship 
with the Holy Spirit that is ongoing, this deep calling unto deep that we experience with the Holy Spirit, even when we're not aware of it, His Spirit is is united with our spirit, bending it toward the will of God, pleading, pleading with us, pleading with us to bend toward the will of God. So He's constantly working on our nature. Now, I can pray anytime, anywhere. I can pray at work. I can pray in the car. And we all know this. This is something that is not unfamiliar, I'm sure, to the listeners. So this unceasing prayer can be experienced through making the commitment to putting God in your thoughts as often as you possibly can. So, for example, when I first got my license, by the way, it took me like six tries to get no. my license. It was not the yes, and, and I caused an accident on the fifth time I tried. So it was... It was not a very fun experience for me. When I finally got my license, oh, my goodness, I was excited. I would drive probably – I had a little too much fun. We'll just say that. I had a little more fun than the law would probably allow me to okay, have. Okay, when but you come to visit us out here when you're on Sid's program, we're going to send our driver to get you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yes, keep me safe. And so, so, but, but it's changed. It's changed because then when I, when I started dating my wife and we got engaged – my driving habits had changed because she would want to put on makeup in the car. So that would mean that I had to keep her comfort and the stability of the vehicle in mind when I'm driving. So the, the awareness of her presence in my car changed the way I drive. My driving habits changed yet again. The day I took my daughter home from the hospital, yes. my newborn baby girl, I guarantee you I wasn't driving the way I was driving when I was single. And the reason for that was my awareness of who was present in the car with me. This 24-7 awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit causes you, so to speak, to drive a little different, to live a little different, to be aware of what you're saying, what you're thinking, what you're doing. You start to put things on that screen and you go, does this remind the Holy Spirit of things that break his heart? Is what I'm listening to contrary to what the Holy Spirit's been trying to speak to me? And so that 24-7 prayer lifestyle is good. Now, that will produce longevity. So there's unceasing prayer, which is nonstop. Then there's intentional prayer. Now, here's where we really get into the, the meat of, of, of the prayer life, because unceasing prayer, yes, is a lifestyle, but intentional prayer is a discipline. So, so the disciplined think that unceasing prayer is a little odd. But the free spirit thinks that intentional prayer is a little legalistic. So God has aspects of himself that contradict almost every personality type in the world. <laughs> we all have a way in which that we can be more like Christ. So, so those who struggle with intentional prayer are usually a little um, lacking in the area of discipline. And those who struggle with unceasing prayer are usually a little skeptical, a little more reserved, you know, why, why would I talk to God, you know, on, in the car? Why would, I, why would I, you know, talk to the Lord in my everyday life? It seems a little odd. And, and the reality is both of those things are necessary because, because unceasing prayer produces longevity, but intentional prayer produces depth. So unceasing prayer is spontaneous, in the moment, fluid. Intentional prayer takes place when you set the atmosphere to sharpen your focus on Jesus. So Jesus did set atmospheres, and there's more on that we could talk about, but I want to focus just for a moment on intentional prayer. Intentional prayer is that moment where I set aside for the Lord, whether it be a half an hour, an hour. I recommend at least an hour, Jesus said. Could you not pray with me at least an hour? 
You pray, you set aside the time, you close off the door, like according to Matthew 6, 6, and you just focus on Jesus. And that setting of the atmosphere allows you to really give him that quality time. So, so unceasing prayer is quantity. Intentional prayer is quality. And both of them contribute to the growth of your spiritual life. But if we want to be people of prayer, the reality is we just have to pray. There's no one who can lay hands on you and impart discipline. There's no one who can lay hands on you and force you to make good decisions. To begin to pray, you simply have to begin to pray. It is a choice, a decision, something that I desire to do, and I act upon that desire. Now, remember, we're one with the Lord already. We already have this oneness in our spirit with Him. So the Holy Spirit gives me that desire— the Holy Spirit births that desire in me, but it's up to me to respond to the desire that he gave me. The fact that he's causing me to desire to pray means that he's the one who's drawing me into prayer. Therefore, the desire to pray is itself an invitation to pray. The question is, am I going to, to be the one who responds to that invitation, or am I going to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit? So both of these types of prayer, again, are, are really key to developing spiritual. Yes, yes. And you even had, David, a, a vision about your prayer life. Yes. So when, when uh, this was a couple of years ago, I had a vision of myself. I was basically floating in nothingness, like in a black abyss. And I saw myself floating. And within me, I could see this pulsing white glowing orb and that orb or that ball of light would grow and it would shrink and it would pulse as it would grow and shrink now over the orb was a layer of dirt a thin layer of dirt and resting upon that dirt were all of these structures they look like little tiny buildings so whenever the orb would shrink the dirt would become uneven it would start to sink and the structures would collapse upon it but whenever that orb would grow, the dirt would become an even surface, and then all of the structures upon that dirt would stand upright. The Lord showed me the meaning of this. Those structures represented all of my responsibilities, my marriage, my ministry, everything. All those things that cause concern, all those things that cause you to think, all those things that you work to make sure are in order. The layer of dirt was basically me. It, was, it represented my life or me or, or me as an individual. And, and, and whenever that orb would shrink, remember, I would begin to collapse. So parts of me would start to sink in, and all of those things I was responsible for would start to fall over. The orb represented my prayer life. Mm -hmm. So whenever my prayer life was strong, I was even, I was stable, and everything that I was carrying was standing upright properly in place because I was going to the Lord in prayer. I, I wish I had come up with this phrase, but there was an evangelist or missionary, uh, I think it was like over 100 years ago, who said something to the effect of, well, I have so much to do today. It's such a busy day that I think I'm going to pray for three hours instead of one. <laughs> so the idea is that sometimes we try to cut back on prayer thinking we're saving ourselves some time or thinking we're saving ourselves some stress. But the reality is that the more that you have to do, the more time you should probably spend in prayer, because I can accomplish more with a day filled with prayer than I can with a week without. Yes. So prayer gives me that power to really 
handle everything that's coming my way because it's the power of God. It's the invitation to the to the grace of God. It's saying, God, come into my life. It's so easy to say, I want God involved in everything. But the proof that you want God involved in your life is that you pray. Yes, yes, yes. You know what? Some of the bold answers that, that we talk about that you give in this book and in some of your teachings uh, to these hard questions, I'm sure a lot of them involve the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, I, yes. yeah, I wanted to go there for just a little bit with you because I know just like myself, just like people that I know, just like the people that are listening to this podcast right now, everybody has had questions. And, David, I love the way you explain it when people ask, well, well when is the Holy Spirit received and, and what is the difference between filling and baptism? Talk to us just a little bit about that. Okay. So this is a very important question, and it's one of the core concepts of the book, the idea of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, or the concept of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So people often ask, when is the Holy Spirit received? Well, when you look at Scripture, you can see that he was active from Genesis to Revelation. It was nonstop. Look in Genesis 1-2, he's active. Look in Exodus when he's empowering those who were uh, part of the team that was constructing the tabernacle, he empowered them with excellence. He gave, he gave Daniel interpretations. He gave Joseph dreams. He gave all of these different powers to individuals all throughout the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit was active then. And then you look at the 72 disciples. These are the ones who preached the gospel, who prayed for the sick, who cast out devils. And one might ask, well, how did they do all those things without the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, they didn't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Not even Jesus did. Acts 10, 38. The Scripture tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Yes. In other words, Jesus used the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives his disciples the power of the Holy Spirit. So there, the 72 are filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm, interesting, because then later, I believe it's in John chapter 20, verse 22, we see Jesus breathe on the disciples, these same 72, and he tells them, receive the Holy Spirit. Interesting, because these are the same disciples who in Acts chapter 2 were waiting around to what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. So they're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And then in Acts chapter 4, we see that same group of believers, Peter, James, and John among them, filled with the Holy Spirit again. So there are many, many uh, infillings of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Ephesians teaches us, uh, tells us, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That phrase, be filled, in the Greek means to be continually filled. It's an ongoing thing. Now, when is the Holy Spirit received then? Because why do I have to receive him a second time, a third time, a fourth time, if he fills me and never leaves me? Well, at salvation— you receive the Holy Spirit deposited within your spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23. This is, this is talking about that infilling of the Holy Ghost. Body, soul, spirit is where I receive that. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is not rain from heaven. It's a flood from within. I receive the waters of baptism not from heaven, but from deep within my soul. John 7.38. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So now the Holy Spirit within me begins to flood me from the inside out, and those waters wash over my soul and body. Therefore, I receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but I release him at baptism. So he's not received 
in in that I never had him, but he's received into more compartments of me, if you will. And that's why I tell people the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about him getting more of you or that flood that spring from within flooding the rest of your being. Yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. Um, this, I, You said the word compartments when you were talking just then, which reminded me that you shared a vision with us, too, talking about some different caves and caverns and, and tunnels and compartments, basically. Tell us about that, David. I don't know if it was a dream or a vision. I'm sure it was a vision, but I like to be conservative with some of the things I say, so I call it a dream. But, you know, in the dream, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so intense. I could, I could feel him in my dream. And in my dream, I'm standing before this cave-like structure, very dark. I couldn't see inside. And to my right was this glowing light that I knew to be the presence of Jesus. I didn't look at his face. I didn't look at him, but I was just aware of him. I, I acknowledged that his presence was with me. And as we're standing there before this dark cave-like structure, the Lord asks me, can we enter? And I said, sure, we can enter. We enter the cave. And there were all these different caverns, all of these different tunnels, all of these different rooms, if you will. And each room was filled with darkness. Each room was filled with that deep, deep darkness. And the Lord would ask me each time we stood before a new entryway, he would say, can I have this? And I would say, yes, Lord, you can have it. And the moment I said you can have it, and the moment he, he, he heard me say it, that room was filled with light. And we went on like this, room after room after room. He would ask my permission, may I fill it? I would say, yes, Lord, you can fill it. And he would fill it with his light and expose all the little details in that room. Now, we came to one part of the cave that was especially dark. I don't know how to really describe this other than saying it was a deep, 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 deep darkness. It was much darker than the other rooms. And the Lord asked me, may I have this room too? And I could feel myself hesitating. I, I, I didn't want to give him that room. I don't know why. I felt vulnerable. I felt exposed. I felt like he could see right through me. And I said, Lord, I don't know. Now, here's the thing. The Lord only asked me once. He didn't, he didn't keep asking. He asked me, and then he just stood there waiting for my response. And that's often what the Lord will do. He'll speak and then not speak again until you've obeyed what he's already spoken. So I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm just filled with this deep anguish in my heart because I didn't want him to go into the room. I didn't want to see what was in there. And, and, and I, I, I also didn't want to reject him. So I'm torn. Lord, I said, finally, you can have this room too. And the moment I said that, that room filled with light, and then I woke up. Wow. And God revealed to me later that that was a, a, a part of my heart that I wasn't willing to surrender. Now, I don't fully understand what exactly that part of me was. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I I couldn't say, oh, that represented this in my life. All I know is that there was a deep part of me, something in my heart, that didn't want to surrender that room to him. There was a, there was a, there was a part of me, something deep, that, that I had yet to surrender. 
I think of John chapter 3, verse 30, I must decrease, he must increase. You know, that was during a time when John the Baptist was no longer being looked to as a spiritual guide. People were starting to go to Jesus instead of him. His ministry was on the decline. Jesus' ministry was on the rise. His disciples came to him, John, look what's happening. He says, okay, I must decrease, he must increase. You know, there are those things that we carry in us, those areas of our hearts, so deep, so dark, so deeply rooted that we don't like to surrender. We don't even want to touch that area. We don't even want to think about those compartments. But you see, that's where the freedom is. Yes. That's where the vulnerability is. This is, this is why, by the way, by the way, this is why some people struggle in their prayer lives, because they know that thing is there. And they know that the moment they go to pray that the Lord's going to confront it, and they don't want to confront it. So they settle for shallow prayers. They settle for, for a shallow devotion to the Lord because they never really want to address that area of hurt or anger or even sin. They don't want to go there because they're afraid of confronting the darkness within them. And because of that, they avoid the depths of prayer. But the Lord wants to not only fill that area with his light, he wants to rid it of all that which is dark. God wants to liberate the tormented soul. But it's going to take that surrender of saying, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. And we fight him. Oh, we fight him. We, we want to hold on to that. I, don't, I can't let this go. I, you can have everything else, God, but you can't have this right here. And that is what blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in our prayer yes. lives. Yes, but look what we get in exchange, like in your vision, when you finally said, yes, Lord, I surrender. You can have this room, too. And then immediately the entire room was filled with light. That's a pretty good exchange, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. no, and, and, that's, and, and that's the beautiful trade-off. And this, this is why the enemy, uh, he, he's a liar. We all know this. He, he's a liar, and there's no truth in him. He wants to keep you from that very thing that God will use. Think about Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the, the king, the glory of the, or the, the Lord of heaven's armies. He, he saw the glory, and instead of focusing on the glory, he looked at himself. Why? Because he was flawed. The glory reveals our flaws. Mm -hmm. Then he, says, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and the very thing that Isaiah thought disqualified him, God used. He said, oh, you're a man of unclean lips, and I'll make you a mouthpiece of heaven. So these things in our lives, we don't have to be afraid. Yes, there's that fearful struggle, but the struggle itself is more terrifying than the actual surrender. Because once you actually do give those things to God, there is liberty, there is freedom, there's joy. That light that fills your heart will cause you to never look back. Here's the thing, and I know we hear these, these phrases, and, and it can become almost cliche, but, but it's the truth, and I want, I want the listener to really appreciate the implications of this truth. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to accept that prayer is difficult. You don't have to accept that God feels distant from you. You don't have to accept that you have trouble hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Those things can be things of the past, and you can begin living in this newness of life. You can. You absolutely can. Yes. <laughs> well, that is some pretty good news, I would say, today. I know everyone that's listening is saying, well, when are we going to talk about speaking in tongues? I want to hear about speaking <laughs> in tongues. Are we going to talk about that? Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, we are definitely going to talk about that. But first, I want to remind you that Sid and I are so, so excited about this resource package that David has put together for you. It is his brand new book called Praying in the Holy Spirit and his brand new and exclusive audio teaching series, Symbols of the Holy Spirit. So be sure and listen for Sid at the end of the program, and he will tell you how you can get that today. You can use it for yourself, as I have, as I have read it and studied it. You can use it for your church, your small group, your family. So listen for that at the end of the program. Okay, David, let's talk about praying in tongues. And you say that one of the benefits of praying in tongues is a general increase of the flow of God's power. And that is what we are hoping for and asking for and wanting today. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 and 4 tell us that nobody understands this gift of speaking in tongues. So therefore, it's not an earthly language because no one understands that we're speaking to God, not man. But it also tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that this is something that edifies me or builds me up. So that which strengthens my spirit weakens my flesh. And whatever weakens my flesh and strengthens my spirit will cause me to succeed in all areas of my spiritual walk. Spiritual gifts are strengthened when your spirit is strengthened. Your character is strengthened when your spirit is strengthened. Your boldness, your prayer life, your devotion to God's Word, the power on your ministry, all of it is strengthened when you grow in the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that when we pray in tongues, that our spirit is being edified. So I won't get into all of this, and I talk about this more in the book, but there are different expressions of the gift of speaking in tongues, which is why there's some confusion on the issue. But when you look at the Scripture and you see that there's a distinct description of each type of speaking in tongues, I mean, it's absolutely clear in the Scripture. There's, like, it, it, there's really no room for even debate on the issue after you look at it. It's very, very clear. But I'm talking specifically about the personal expression of the gift of speaking in tongues. When I pray in tongues, my spirit is strengthened. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14 tells us that when I'm praying in tongues, my spirit is praying. Now watch this. My spirit is praying. Okay, so we've already established that the Holy Spirit's in you, that God dwells in you. All of him is in you already, and that it's just a matter of not not receiving, but releasing through surrender the flow of that spirit from deep within. Remember John seven thirty eight from deep within, out of my spirit, into my soul, into my body. What's part of my body? My tongue, my mouth, my prayer life begins to become impacted as the flow of that flood water begins to come out of me. Now, 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 in Romans chapter eight verse twenty six, which is not necessarily a direct reference to the gift of speaking in tongues. We're shown a spiritual truth, and that is that the Holy Spirit prays for you. Now watch this. This is powerful. I love this about the Scripture, what it says. So Romans 8.26 tells us that, that the Holy Spirit's praying for you. He prays for me. I mean, I've gone all over the world and had mighty men and women of God lay hands on me. We all love to go and have mighty servants yes. of the Lord lay yes. hands on us, and that's wonderful. But the Holy Spirit wants to lay hands on me? Wow. He prays for me. He, he knows what I need, and he's interceding for me. Have you ever gone through your day, and maybe you're in a spiritual slump, and then out of nowhere, you suddenly get this desire to begin doing right again? That's the result of the Holy Spirit praying for you. He'll, 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 he's, more, he's more focused on your spiritual life than you are, and he's on top of it. He's praying for you. So then, if he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, 
then when I'm praying in the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 14, then I'm praying the exact same prayers that the Holy Spirit prays in Romans eight twenty six. When I pray in the Spirit, remember, praying in the Spirit is not necessarily speaking in tongues. Praying in the Spirit is praying in agreement with the Holy yes. Spirit. It's praying in oneness with the Holy Spirit, praying in connection with the Holy Spirit. So when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. And if my spirit is praying, I'm praying what the Holy Spirit is praying. Now watch this. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, I'll pray for you myself if only you give me a mouth. I feel like speaking wow. in tongues wow. right now. Yeah. I, I will pray for you myself if only you would give me a mouth. You see, when I pray in tongues, I'm praying with my spirit, not according to my understanding. There's a story I like to tell to illustrate this point. So a lot of father-daughter illustrations because, you know, I try to talk about my aria as often as possible. But this <laughs> is not me and aria. This is just a common illustration. Um, there was a pastor who was teaching his little girl how to pray. And each night he would pray with her, and he was teaching her how to talk to God before she went to bed. So he finally decides, I'm going to let my little girl pray on her own so she can learn how to pray, and he leaves her to pray by herself. One night he's walking by her bedroom, and he hears her little voice praying, so he puts his ear up to the door. And he listens as his little girl says, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, she's praying the alphabet. So he thought it was adorable, of course, and he goes to bed. But after two or three nights of this, it began to concern him, and he thought, perhaps my daughter is not really learning to pray, and i got to go and correct this now before she goes on with her misunderstanding. So he goes in there. He says, sweetie, you know, this is wonderful. You're being sincere. That's awesome. But that's not really how you pray. When you pray, you actually have to talk to God. She says, Daddy, I am talking to God. I'm giving him all the letters, and he can arrange them in whatever order he oh wants. Oh, my. <laughs> that's, that's what you do when you pray in tongues. You pray syllables and sounds void of your meaning. Remember, the Holy Spirit can only fill that which is empty. We say, Holy Spirit, fill me, but he can't fill us if we're full of ourselves. So when you pray words in tongues, you're praying sentences and phrases and sounds that have no meaning that you've attached to them. And because your words or your utterances are empty of your own meaning, there's room now for the Holy Ghost to go in and add his meaning to those words. And so when I'm praying in tongues, I'm praying according to the Spirit. So I'm uttering in the physical realm what the Holy Spirit is declaring in the heavenly realm. Yes. Whew, you know what? I could stop right there and feel like I, I am just full of the Holy Spirit right now, of this revelation, of this teaching, and say, whoo, wasn't this a good time? But I know there's a couple other things we want to cover because there might be folks out there that are listening to us right now, David, that have felt a little bit maybe disappointed that, yes, that sounds great, David. I want that. I want that. But I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I just haven't gotten there yet. And I just haven't been able to to open up and, and let that happen or make that happen. What do you say to those people? Okay. So remember we were talking about bold answers. Yes. Um, Love is not rude, but it is bold. And and I, I, I want to say this to before before I say this, let me give this caveat because I don't wanna cause someone to put up their defenses and then walk away not receiving this gift. I'm not questioning anyone's spirituality. 
I'm not questioning anyone's relationship with the Lord. I'm not questioning anyone's sincerity. But we have to recognize that there are a few misconceptions that people have had about the gift of speaking in tongues. I address a whole lot of them in the book, but the main one I want to address here, there's this idea that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to grab you by your tongue and force you to pray in tongues. It's just not going to happen. Now, how do I know that? How can I prove that with Scripture? Well, think about 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as a whole. Why would Paul the Apostle spend a whole chapter of the Bible talking about how to control the gift of speaking in tongues if the gift could not be controlled? Why would he go on regulating this gift and telling you how to do it and when to speak up if it was not within your control to do it? The fact that he told us to control it in Scripture is proof that we can control it. It's within our power to turn this gift on or off. It's our prayer language. It's another language he's given us, and we can decide when to use it. Now, having said that, this means that it is up to me to provide the sounds. It's up to the Holy Spirit to provide the power. Everything that you'll ever do that is spiritual is a partnership between you and God. And that partnership here is that I pray and I utter the sounds, and the Holy Spirit gives it his meaning. So then, what actually blocks people from receiving this gift? I'm going to tell you this. You listening? I'm going to tell you this. This is the reason why you can't pray in tongues. I'm going to give it to you right now. This is the reason why you can't pray in tongues. And you may hear other explanations that that could possibly bring blockage, and those may be true. But if all those other things are dealt with and you still can't pray in tongues, it comes down to this one thing and one thing only, only, and that is ego. Now, when I say ego, I'm not talking about pride. Some people jump on, jump on that right away, and they think I'm insulting them when I say ego. Ego is simply self. Self can be pride, yes. But other than pride, there's also doubt. There's also hesitation. There's also the fear of looking silly. How many times have you had this attempt to pray in tongues only to tell yourself, oh, that's not God, that's just me? Mm. Or, oh, what if a demon comes in? And, 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 and I always thought, what a silly notion that a demon would come in. I mean, even if, and I believe the gift of speaking in tongues is a gift from God. Don't get me wrong. That's absolutely biblically clear. But even if the gift of speaking in tongues was just something that we made up, who's to say that a demon could enter by that anyway? I mean, there's lots of emotional expressions that we use that don't have any meaning behind them as far as, you know, words and understanding, but that are an expression nonetheless. I mean, tears, when you cry tears, there's no understanding or things being spoken. It's an emotional expression that's pointed toward God. When, when you, there's certain songs that we sing, we, we, we do these, these songs, sometimes there's no words, there's just choruses that we kind of, you know, hum the melody to. Are, is humming suddenly going to cause a demon to come in because you're not speaking with understanding? No. So, I mean, I think we got to realize just how silly this notion is that demons could enter through you making utterances of worship aimed at God with sincere expression for him. It's just, it's just nonsense to think that. But getting back to this point now about what is actually happening, sometimes we are blocking that because we're afraid of how we'll look, and we're waiting around for God to do something. So inactivity is one of the blockages. Uh, as I said, hesitation or doubt or second-guessing or fear, but all of that comes to ego. We're getting in our own way. So when hands are being laid on you, 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 you want to speak out in tongues. It's right there on the tip of your tongue, and all that's going through your mouth is, what's happening? What's going to go on? <laughs> 
Is this a demon? Is this God? Is this me? Should I say it? Will it look silly? Will it just be me? Is God going to be upset with me because I'm trying to do this? Am I faking it? That's all that goes through your head. But you got to look at it like starting an engine. When people say they drive their cars, they don't say that they actually went 65 miles an hour. That's why I always laugh at these people who come in next to you, rev their engine and speed off trying to show off their vehicles. I'm like, look, I know you're not actually going that fast. It's your car that's doing it. And that's not all that impressive because that's how the mechanics of it work. (laughs) But, you know, when it comes to the spiritual things, we have to recognize we're not the ones moving this thing. You turn the key, and once the engine starts to rev, it's the engine that takes over. Or I put my foot on the gas pedal. That's a little nudge. And then the engine does the rest of the work, but I got to do my part. So I start by giving him the syllables and the sounds in faith, and I pray those sounds from within my spirit, knowing that they're offered as sincere offerings to God, saying, Lord, you feel this. You give it your meaning. And so when I begin to speak those sounds, the Holy Spirit takes over and a flow is found. Now, you won't always feel something. Filling is not necessarily the proof that you received. I mean, who can really rely on their feelings anyway? And even if you did feel it, because of doubt, you'd probably go on saying, well, I wonder if that feeling was from God or from me. So feeling isn't necessarily the standard by which we measure a true experience in the presence of God anyway. But when I begin to say those syllables and sounds, and I speak them into the air, I'm saying by faith, God, you fill these. Leave it up to God to lock the power of the Holy Ghost behind such a childlike act. And it is childlike, where I have to just, in faith, believe that he's going to add his own meaning. And that really is it. It's that simple. Now, that that may not sound all that convincing. This is why I encourage you to just do it. Just start speaking in tongues, and you will find a flow. And as you speak in tongues, you, by faith, are believing that God is going to fill those syllables and sounds with his intention. Now, of course, this wouldn't work for the unbeliever because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But if you're a believer, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then that means the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And if the Holy Spirit is praying for you and you, by faith, are giving him those syllables and sounds and trusting God for this gift, he's not going to turn you away. This is how it works in the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> That's one of those where you're listening and it's a lot to take in. But but David, I, I think sometimes some of us need those bold answers. Some of us need to be told that. But also in your book, I love it so much when you're so encouraging, you give us these good, bold instruction and answers. And then you say, you know, let go, set your goals. You're going to do it. You're asking sincerely from God who wants you to have these things. So it's going to happen. So I love the fact that that you can be bold with us, but you can also be so encouraging that when people read this, they're going to go, yes, 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 I get that. I get that. And that's where the boldness comes from. It's love. I'm not attacking anyone. I'm attacking their doubts is what I'd like to say. Speaking of love, David, you tell us and you teach us that it's love for Jesus that keeps this power in our prayer life going. Absolutely. It's the fire of the prayer life, that love for Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us that, too, which is why it's important that we pray in the Holy Spirit. And I think I said this earlier, but I do want to emphasize, when I say praying in the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues, though speaking in tongues is an expression of praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit, as I said, is starting in this oneness, starting in this connection with God, and then moving in step with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit gives you a love for Jesus. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
is the one who fans into flame the fire of that love for Jesus. There is no one on earth who loves Jesus more than the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us, then we're allowing that same love to also fuel the prayer life itself. He causes you to fall in love with Jesus more than you ever knew possible. And that really is the motivation of prayer. You see, if my motivation is because I feel like I'm fulfilling some spiritual obligation to God, then I grow tired and exhausted. If I am motivated to pray because I want power, then I grow exhausted. But it's only when I love my time in prayer itself that prayer really begins to transform me because I just begin to love the presence of Jesus. I just want to be around Him. I just want to know Him. And there really is no measure on that. You're not looking at your watch saying, well, how much longer do I have to do this for? You're just lost in it and loving His presence and spending time with Him. Now, think about this, that everything that God requires of us is love. I mean, the law and the prophets all hang on loving God first and foremost with all that you are, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So God requires of us love to fulfill all that He desires us to do and become. And then He gives us that which we need to fulfill that requirement. So He makes the requirement, and then He gives us what we need to fulfill that requirement. And that's all done by the Holy Spirit. We fall in love with Jesus as we begin to look to Him as we begin to see Him in prayer. And that really is what prayer is. It's just time in the presence of the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to us. Yes. And as I become captivated, obsessed with who He is, my prayer life is set on flame. It's set on fire. It becomes not just a little ember. It's an inferno burning within my heart. Yes. Yes, and that is so individual, isn't it, David? It's it's uh, it's our place. It's that secret place within us when that happens. Yes, and that that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of prayer. That love that causes me to be drawn closer to Him. I I start to know Him, and and you you see, I, we could talk about these things. But until one truly experiences that love, there, there's no there's no word to describe it. There's a the word I've tried to use. It, it's my attempt to describe it. There's a, there's a sweetness. There's a sweetness to his presence. Yes. It's just you have to dive in. It's worth every bit of struggle you might go through to find that place where you're just in love with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a statement that, that I love as we're, we're winding up and we're getting ready to close here, that you said, and I even put this in bold, or sometimes when I find things in these books of our wonderful guests that we have on, I will, will print it out in bold and underline it and hang it in my office. That same glory that shook the mountains is open to mm-hmm. us today. And what a privilege, a privilege it is for us to come. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about the fact that in the Old Testament, if people so much just touched the ark or looked into the ark without reverence, they were killed. <laughs> That's how powerful his presence is. I mean, people would come trembling, shaking. Their knees would shake. They they would sweat. Their hearts would race as they approached the presence of God. It was, it was like the deep ocean or a great height when you're standing upon it. 
The glory of God is so beautiful, it's terrifying. The glory of God is so spectacular, it causes you to tremble. And like standing over that deep abyss, that's what it is to stand in the glory of God. But that same glory, which terrified the people, the smoke and the lightning and the thunder and the shaking, that same glory I have access to today? Like right now, this is why I say that the proof you believe in prayer is that you actually pray. Yes. <laughs> and the only reason nobody, the only reason that people don't pray is because they don't believe in prayer. And that's just the reality of it. They don't believe that when they go into their room, they're actually entering into a new dimension, that they're actually going to go and, and have fellowship with the one who spoke and caused all things to come into existence. The fact that I can go and talk to him, that I can go and know him. There's nothing like that. He himself is the reward. He himself is the reward. Yes. Well, I think sometimes we need to be reminded. And as we close in prayer, I'm going to have you pray for the listeners, if you would. And I I, I think we need to be reminded sometimes, like you were saying, what? I have access to this? I think we need to be reminded of that, David. So would you close in prayer for us today? Absolutely. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, come to you now, Holy Spirit. Yes. And I ask you to make your presence known. My dear friend, make your presence known. Let them sense you. Let them know your glory. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause that one listening now to be set on fire with your Holy Spirit's power. Lord, I ask you that you would cause them to have this yearning desire to pray that they cannot resist. I come against every strategy of the enemy, and I pray God's will be established in their lives. Make us people of prayer. Make us people of the mountaintop. Make us mountaintop glory dwellers Mm. in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. David, thank you so much for being with us today. We sure appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us. It's always a joy. I love everyone there at ISN. You're you're some of my favorite people to (laughs) to do ministry with. (laughs) Well, we can't wait to see you soon. And now for those that are listening, here's Sid Roth to tell you how you can get David's brand new book, Praying in the Holy Spirit, and his brand new and exclusive audio teaching series, Symbols of the Holy Spirit. Sid? I know you want to experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. David Hernandez says, you can. You can walk in that same unshakable confidence and unlimited power through praying the Spirit that any believer that ever lived in. It's yours. You're entitled to it. And once learned, this practice will make you normal and allow you to enter your God-given end-time destiny completely. It's time. Never again will you be weakened by doubt, fear, or distraction. Get David's brand new book, Praying in the Holy Spirit, and his brand new and exclusive four-part audio teaching series, Nine Symbols of the Holy Spirit, 
where you'll discover revelation mysteries of this world-class revelation teacher of the Holy Spirit. And as a special bonus, you'll also get an insert card for your book or Bible, Symbols and Mysteries of the Holy Spirit, for an investment of only 40 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org, S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Be sure to ask for offer number 9713. That's offer number 9713.